Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on today's ASI Expert webinar, Maximizing the Hygienist Role as Patient Advocate with Dr. Mark Hodge. Dr. Mark Hodge received, uh, reached the level of Invisalign uh, Elite Advantage Provider in 2008 and has been treating Invisalign patients at his Broken Arrow, Oklahoma office since 2002. Dr. Hodge was the only dentist in Oklahoma to receive, to receive Elite Advantage Provider status in 2008. Since receiving his Doctor of Dental Medicine degree in 1985, he has served on the dental school faculty of both Oral Roberts University and Loma Linda University. So without further ado, I'll turn the program over to Dr. Hodge. Dr. Hodge, you now have the floor. Thank you, David, and welcome, everyone. Uh, thanks for spending part of your Friday with us, and um, I'm excited to, to share this information with you as far as the hygienist role as patient advocate. Uh, to get us started, uh, let's go ahead and get some of the legal requirements out of the way. So as uh, maximizing the hygienist role as patient advocate, the first thing we need to do is take care of the legal aspects, and that is the statements and views of the presenter well, the material is that of the presenter, not of Align Technology, and Align Technology may or may not endorse uh, the opinions that are shared. And attendees are responsible for legal and regulatory compliance of any marketing and referral programs. There we go. So we've got the regulatory things out of the way. So with that brief little detour, let's begin. And probably the foundational premise of our time uh, here today is the fact that everyone is wanting a different outcome than they're currently experiencing as far as their Invisalign case acceptance and helping patients get healthy by treating their malocclusion. And so if someone wants, uh, if you do the same thing over and over, you're going to expect the same results. And if we want different results, we need to consider different behaviors. So I trust that everyone has that openness today and that whatever level of Invisalign success you have achieved here to four, uh, whether you're a preferred provider hoping to get to Premier, whatever level of distinction you have enjoyed, by changing some behaviors, it will help advance you to that next level of success. And um, I would just say to you that the concept of hygienist as patient advocate has probably been the most pivotal uh, aspect for our practice in helping us get not only to elite preferred, but actually top 1% this year. Um, so this information will have a powerful impact with uh, your patients and on your practice. The question we need to settle, though, in order to make this all make sense is simply ask the question, where are treatment needs best first discussed with a patient? If you're like me and many doctors I've talked to, dental school and dental consultants created the belief that the doctor should be hub of the practice. He or she is seen to reign from a throne, really of self-imposed importance to all the patients, and the patients had to see the doctor first so that he or she can make the initial recommendation of treatment. There's nothing wrong with this system, but it does have serious limitations. And you can be successful using the doctor-centered model, but not as successful as you could be with a hygienist-centered approach. Now, while this may be counterintuitive, just think for a moment with me about the messages that you receive on a daily basis and how you respond to them. We are, as consumers, constantly bombarded with information, whether it's uh, television commercials, pop-up ads on the Internet, but we also have the opportunity to view things such as online reviews, uh, whether it's TripAdvisor or um, Urban Spoon, where we get the opinions of trusted peers. 
And what research shows is for uh, promoter-type advertising, such as television, television ads actually have a 32% negative return on investment. Um, they just aren't as effective in truly motivating a consumer, yet they remain very popular. Conversely, research shows that peer reviews have a 32% trust ratio as far as people believing that the opinions of even strangers, they will have a more of an effect in motivating them to seek uh, change their action than promoter-type presentations and advertising. So unfortunately, patients tend to perceive the doctor's recommend, recommendation of treatment just like an e-baby commercial or any other commercial. Rightly or wrongly, they view a doctor one of these first presenting treatment options as being a promoter rather than a peer. Hygienists, on contrast, they do enjoy more of a peer-to-peer -peer relationship with the patient. Even though they are highly educated, patients see them as a trusted friend with no perceived financial interest. So as we look at this, we can think that... Um, we can embrace the concept of the hygienist as a patient advocate and maximize this peer-to-peer -peer relationship to help the patient make decisions that are in their best interest. I think we'll find that Invisalign conversations are or can become a natural extension of the hygienist conversation regarding periodontal health, dental health, and even overall systemic health. In looking at uh, the hygienist as a patient education, uh, in terms of patient education for Invisalign and as a patient advocate, we can classify their daily activities of a dental hygienist into three major areas, clinical skills, communication, and consistency. Let's first look at the clinical skills of a patient advocate. As a patient advocate, hygienists regularly educate patients on problems associated with the asymptomatic, invisible effects of periodontal disease. A hygienist uses a periodontal probe as a means to help patients understand and quantify the state of their disease. Through this education, the hygienist helps the patient establish ownership. Ownership of a disease state has to precede treatment. Without ownership, then the message is promotional and less effective in motivating the patient. We traditionally accept this as the standard component of a hygienist role, educating the patient to the point of ownership. In fact, if you look at these x-rays that are on the screen, and if I were to tell you that this is from a patient who, well, let's say for six years or so, had received regular checkups in the same office, with the same hygienist and the same doctor, well, you'd likely have some rather strong feelings as to the professionalism and the clinical care of that office and the team, and, and rightly so. Um, so we would be rather judgmental of that professional team for not properly educating a patient and encourage them to seek treatment for this asymptomatic issue. And so we have to think about all the times that you recommend treatment for asymptomatic issues in your practice, whether it's periodontal issues or restorative care. And a hygienist will regularly assist the doctor in recommending care for a patient. 
a hygienist as a patient advocate would certainly recommend treatment for this fractured number 31 and for the asymptomatic cracked number 30. They would educate the patient, help the patient establish ownership of the asymptomatic issue. In a similar way, a hygienist as a patient advocate would certainly recommend treatment for this fractured number 19 and the asymptomatic missing number 20. They would educate, help the patient establish ownership, and encourage them to seek recommended treatment. In a similar way, a hygienist as a patient advocate would certainly recommend treatment for the failing number five here and the asymptomatic cracked number four and the asymptomatic wear and cracks in number six. Number six requires intervention because malocclusion, even as an asymptomatic disease, still needs treatment. It's a matter of establishing or educating and establishing ownership. This is the role of the hygienist as patient advocate. Now, let me be clear. I certainly understand that only a doctor can diagnose treatment, but the hygienist as a patient advocate has a dramatic and, uh, role in helping educate a patient to the point of ownership. And in doing this, it takes maximum advantage of that peer-to-peer relationship so that this does not appear promotional but educational. With such, a hygienist using that peer engagement can take a patient like this with no stated aesthetic concerns and discuss the reality of her progressive incisal wear and chipping due to the misaligned teeth and the, and, and the patient winds up being engaged instead of offended or put off. The doctor can then enter the conversation once the hygienist has introduced the topic and weighed the patient's interest and response to the initial conversation. The hygienist, as a patient advocate, also has a natural lead-in for discussing malocclusion due to the implications regarding crowded and rotated teeth contributing to periodontal decline. Research supports this patient advocacy and the link between malocclusion and periodontal disease. This study from the International Journal of Adult Orthodontics and Orthodontic Surgery concluded that plaque accumulations in crowded areas contain more pathogenetic bacteria. So crowding and correcting crowding should be part of a periodontal program, just the same as soft tissue management, laser therapy, arrestin, or chlorhexidine. Treating the crowded areas is part of a periodontal program and a natural extension of the hygienist role as patient advocate. In similar terms, uh, the Journal of Oral Facial Orthopedics reported that anterior crowding of just three millimeters or more was an individual host factor for periodontal disease. That's three millimeters of crowding distributed over the six anterior teeth. In other words, half a millimeter of crowding on each interproximal contact. The peer relationship of a hygienist is the perfect place to initiate these conversations. If we couple this research linking malocclusion to periodontal disease, and we know that periodontal disease causes chronic inflammation, chronic inflammation has been shown to influence an individual's propensity to a whole uh, host of systemic diseases. In fact, this article from Scientific American listed all of the diseases that are, have an increased propensity as a result of chronic inflammation. Authors 
stroke, heart attack, diabetes, osteoporosis, oral cancer, rheumatoid arthritis, pregnancy complications, pneumonia, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, obesity. All of these can have a dramatic effect by the, the chronic inflammation caused by periodontal disease. Furthermore, uh, this is even more of an issue for patients who are suffering from or predisposed to diabetes. Uh, Dr. Gino, the immunology professor at the University of Buffalo, uh, has an interesting comment. He strongly suggests aggressive treatment and prevention of periodontal disease in patients with diabetes as part of their overall management on not only their oral health, but their diabetic state. Well, I submit to you that aggressive treatment, as Dr. Gino uh, refers to it, simply means thorough treatment, and that is addressing the, addressing the etiology of the disease and the chronic inflammation and the contributions that malocclusion can have to this host disease process. Further documentation of this whole concept in uh, equipping a hygienist as a patient advocate for treating malocclusion can be found in this article from Dimensions of Oral Hygiene by Dr. Stephen Harrell. It's simply titled, The Oral Health Begins with Tooth Alignment and How Treating Malocclusion and Misaligned Teeth Can Positively Affect a Patient's Long-Term Oral Health and Their Overall Health as Well. As we embrace these concepts of how malocclusion overlaps with a patient's uh, true systemic health, it will result in a, par a paradigm shift for the hygienist and the practice. In fact, once this is fully embraced and the patient, hygienist takes on this role as patient advocate, we will have, um, you will begin to look at the patient's health history in a different way. Instead of just asking, will this patient's health be adversely affected by the care I render or the medications I use, a patient that may have artificial joints, uh, circulatory problems, diabetes, uh, heart murmur, liver disease, obstructive sleep apnea, any of these things, instead of just asking yourself, well, will my treatment impact their health or the medications they're taking, you'll begin asking yourself, will this patient's health be adversely affected if I fail to offer orthodontic care? Because treating the crowding, the rotations, and its implication on periodontal disease and periodontal diseases impact on chronic inflammation just takes on a whole different dimension as far as uh, the emphasis we need to place on uh, the role of hygienist as patient advocate. If we embrace a posture of true patient advocacy, then when we see a patient like this one, our thoughts will, be go, will go beyond aesthetic and functional issues and we'll embrace the concepts of true health prevention, and treating the etiology of the problems, not just the symptoms. Malocclusion is an asymptomatic disease that definitely needs treatment. And as a hygienist, you see how malocclusion is related to preventative medicine, periodontal issues, occlusion, TMJ, and certainly from preventing future dental problems as well. The thought we need to embrace is that Invisalign and orthodontics in general is not just an aesthetic technology or an aesthetic treatment. And the hygienist with his or her more trusted peer relationship is the perfect person on the dental team to serve as an advocate for total health, 
by educating the patient about the destructive nature of the asymptomatic disease of malocclusion. For instance, you take this young man here, the 14-year-old, who enters the practice with just a mild gingivitis and no decay, and has actually kept his mouth caries-free up to this point in his life. With the role of a patient advocate, the hygienist begins to assess the deep bite that's going on, the lack of canine guidance for this young man, and how he's already trending toward being overweight. Also, you notice in the lower anteriors, we have more than three millimeters of lower anterior crowding, and research has shown that that's an independent risk factor for periodontal disease. The periodontal disease causes chronic inflammation. The chronic inflammation can make this young man more susceptible to obesity and diabetes, both of which are becoming an epidemic in our modern-day culture. So that as a patient advocate, the hygienist takes the, the conversation in a different direction, educating the patient to the point of ownership so that we can really, truly practice oral medicine and getting this young man healthy, not just for today, but through 12 months of Invisalign teen, now healthier for a lifetime. And this allows the doctor to be a true physician of the mouth. With the patient advocacy approach, the hygienist is positioning and facilitating the doctor to be a physician of the mouth and as a physician of the mouth, Invisalign allows us to be comprehensive in our approach to patient care. And also, Invisalign is uniquely positioned as an orthodontic technique. It allows us, as physicians of the mouth, to abide by the Hippocratic Oath to first do no harm. And not every ortho technique can offer that. For here, we see patient, a patient who is just... Uh, coming for his first hygiene visit after being debanded from full bands and brackets, and we see the hypocalcification that is just oh too often the results of traditional orthodontics. Also, Invisalign will not result in the significant root shortening that sometimes accompanies traditional orthodontics. So as we aspire to be physicians of the mouth, Invisalign will allow us to be uh, First, do no harm in offering that care. As stated at the beginning, the hygienist as patient advocate encompasses three major roles, clinical skills, communication, and consistency. We've looked at the clinical skills of a patient advocate and how those skills and professionalism are synergistic with truly treating the whole patient. However, those convictions, the research and the behavioral actions, must be consistently applied to yield a significant difference. So let's look at how consistency plays a strategic role for the hygienist as a patient advocate. The consistency is of particular importance when we realize that 75% of the adult population has malocclusion. Therefore, diagnostic systems must be in place and consistently practice to avoid being avoid the risk of being guilty of supervised neglect of your patients in your care. When we realize that the disease process is that prevalent, we have to have a consistent system consistently applied or patients will fall through the cracks and as a result there will be unintentional supervised neglect of the malocclusion in our practice. None of None of us want to be uh, guilty of that. 
We see the effects of malocclusion every day, uh, where poorly aligned teeth experience repetitive traumatic collisions that have a cumulative effect. Worn cusp leads to loss of vertical dimension, weakened teeth uh, that are more prone to fracture. That loss of vertical dimension increases a patient's overbite. The increased overbite increases anterior wear and uh, leads to more dental problems, dental treatment, and dental expense. In addition, abnormal lateral forces can also create flexure of the teeth, creating abfractions at the cervical margin of the tooth. And given enough time, tooth mobility, tooth fracture, or tooth loss can result. As patient advocates for health, it's our job to consistently diagnose the signs and symptoms of malocclusion and treat the cause. So in a hygienist's day-to-day role and responsibility, they will routinely and repetitively see patients with uh, isolated or chronic abfractions. And abfractions are diagnostically significant for malocclusion and aberrant lateral forces that are causing flexure of the teeth, which left untreated will cause more problems for the patient down the road. In fact, if uh, taking a closer look at this patient, you have to just wonder over the years as this patient has been in treatment, has anyone ever looked at the etiology of the disease patterns or simply just treated the symptoms? Obviously, this patient was treated with gold crowns on their upper posterior teeth because, well, I suspect the practitioner was concerned about the wear patterns of the patient. So more than just intercepting the effects of the wear and the uh, aberrant uh, tooth forces, what if we actually align the teeth to help reduce future wear and truly treat the etiology, not just the symptoms? In addition to abfractions, Incisal wear is diagnostically significant for malocclusion. Think how many times on a day-to-day, week-in and week-out basis, we see incisal wear, either upper incisors or lower incisors, and it all has to do with tooth position. As a patient advocate, the hygienist is perfectly poised to begin that conversation so that the patient establishes ownership, and once ownership is achieved, then treatment will result. And just as abfractions and incisal wear are signs of malocclusion, so are worn cusps. I call this phenomenon uh, golf ball molars because the depressed islands of Denton resemble the dimples in a golf ball. Hygienists will see golf ball molars, abfractions, and incisal wear consistently all day long. Therefore, there must be consistent education and consistent presentation of treatment options. Otherwise, a situation like this can result. Just imagine this 72-year-old mouth 40 years ago. What could have been prevented with orthodontic intervention at the first signs of occlusal dysfunction? And how many of our patients, if left untreated, are headed down this same path? As a patient advocate, with consistency added to your clinical skills, you can help these patients get healthy and stay healthy. Just like with caries or periodontal disease and other dental maladies, the same is true in malocclusion. Time is never our patient's friend. So as soon as the evidences of malocclusion are detected, treatment needs to, we need to educate the patient and hopefully initiate treatment. 
Let's go back to this picture of incisal wear for a moment. And then look at what parallels may exist to the earlier x-rays we took or looked at when talking about periodontal disease. We talked about how would we feel if this patient in the x-ray had been under the care of the same office for six years and the disease process never diagnosed or really discussed. Well, in the court of public opinion and certainly even in the court of jurisprudence, I don't think we'd be very forgiving of a hygienist or a doctor who offered in defense of this radiograph, well, I never actually probed this patient's pockets, so I didn't see there was disease going on. I mean, it's, it's, it's silly to even postulate something like that. But in a similar way, I don't think we could say or offer an adequate defense of the malocclusion, the size of wear, by just simply saying, well, I never noticed the wear, and so we never treated the malocclusion. The hygienist, as a patient advocate, guides the patient into self-awareness of the disease and educates them on the benefit of the recommended treatment. To truly sense the urgency and importance, we must realize that malocclusion is a progressive, destructive, preventable disease. But let's be clear on how we're defining disease. A disease would be an impairment of health or a condition of abnormal functioning. If we accept that as our definition of disease, then as an advocate, we have to start addressing all the malocclusion issues we see. The crowding that can induce periodontal problems, the improper occlusal function, uneven wear and chipping, gingival recession, ab fraction, bone loss, and TMJ dysfunction are all related to the disease process of malocclusion. The hygienist, as a patient advocate, can be the, um, the champion of patient health in beginning conversations with patients like these. Again, with no aesthetic concern, but knowing that the trapped lateral incisor, number seven, would only lead to future periodontal problems, the edge-to-edge -edge bite on the right side, the near crossbite situation, would just lead to further dental problems and dental destruction, leads a patient into a conversation establishes ownership, and the patient was eager to begin treatment, and obviously this patient is going to experience more long-term health than if they had been left untreated. A patient's, will, patients will connect with a caring conversation from a hygienist, and that's the whole premise behind the hygienist's role as patient advocate. They will connect better with a caring conversation from the hygienist than they will with the doctor because the hygienist is perceived as having no vested financial interest in the treatment recommendations. Patients expect the hygienist to tell them what's good for them, not just what the patient wants to hear. I mean, patient, hygienists are all the time promoting flossing, and patients don't want to hear about flossing. We know that, but we continue to to champion health and what's in the best interest of them. So patients are conditioned to expect those health messages from the hygienist. So the role of a hygienist as patient advocate for malocclusion is simply allowing this patient to hygienist or the patient to hygienist relationship to work for you, to work for the patient and work for the practice. And really it's the kindest thing you can do for your patient because it better equips the patient to make a decision that's in his or her own best interest. Once the hygienist has
operation that's based on prevention, then the baton is passed to the doctor to help bring, to actually make the diagnosis and take the patient uh, through recommendation and uh, initiating treatment. But for this to work for the hygienist, and for the hygienist to truly be able to function as patient advocate and set this table for the doctor, the hygienist has to be properly equipped for conducting these malocclusion conversations. And malocclusion is not something that's readily talked about in most hygiene schools, so it will take some dedicated teaching and training from the doctor to the hygienist. The way we worked this out in our practice was to take time to talk about the envelope of function. But before we talk about that, let me just back up and say that when the doctor is uh, taking the baton from the patient or from the hygienist concerning this whole message of uh, treating malocclusion for health concerns, then the natural way for the doctor to resume the conversation is simply to state to the patient, my concern is if we do nothing in treating your bite or treating your malocclusion or repositioning your teeth, my concern is if we do nothing, you will end up with dental treatment and dental expense that otherwise could have been avoided. This is a phrase I found to be very powerful and motivational for my patients because they're now realizing it's just a consistent message that treating malocclusion is all about health, preventing disease, preventing dental treatment, and saving them future dental expense. So it just dovetails well with the hygienist role as patient advocate in promoting health if the doctor's message is all about health and preventing disease as well. So going back to equipping the hygienist for these conversations, what we have found to be most effective is to take time out and to discuss what is called the envelope of function. Doctors are familiar with this, but hygienists are not necessarily familiar with it. But I want to play this short little video that actually gives an animated version or definition of what the envelope of function is. The envelope of function is simply a way of uh, quantifying the correct position of the mandible, the lower jaw, functioning underneath the maxilla. The envelope of function simply stated is that the lower incisors should always travel inside and passively behind the upper incisors. That is this inner path here is the inner part of the envelope of function, this yellow line here. That is the correct path for the lower jaw to travel. Now, when you do bite together, you can come forward, and then once you come forward, you open out in this path here. But the envelope of function is just the simple reality that there is only one correct position for the mandible to follow and track underneath the maxilla, and that is with the lower incisors traveling passively behind the upper incisors. So if we accept that as normal, I like to refer to it as uh, just like a patient would know that their normal body temperature is 98.6. And anything that's not 98.6 is an indication of disease. In a similar way, the lower incisors traveling passively coming to rest behind the upper incisors is the correct path for the jaw to take. Think of that as 98.6. If a patient does not enjoy that bite, then there's evidence of disease and the envelope of function is impaired and the patient needs to be educated about that. 
I'm convinced and persuaded, and other practices will bear this out as well, is that there really is no way to properly educate a patient about their bite or the envelope of function or how teeth should properly fit together without proper photos. Uh, I encourage you to accept the fact that photos are not optional, but actually required to truly function in the role of patient advocate. And taking a patient through a conversation of education, ownership, and moving forward with treatment. Now, in talking with practices, doctors, and hygienists over the years, um, and promoting the thought of photos as being required rather than optional, I have heard a lot of pushback and objections to this, and it usually all boils down to a matter of time. So as part of our presentation today, in preparing for that, what I did is I recorded multiple photo sessions of our various hygienists in our practice. We have four hygienists in our practice, and I videotaped them taking full photographs on new patients. And then of the, the videos that we had, I have selected the longest time period of all of our hygienists in taking those pictures as an illustration of how this can be done. So as we watch this video, I know it's going to seem lengthy, but you're going to be surprised at the actual, there's a timer running behind the video, and you'll see how little time this actually takes. Now, I want to stress that even though we're showing a, a, 30, a digital 35-millimeter camera here, any digital camera will work for these pictures. You don't have to have a digital SLR. Whatever picture you're, whatever camera you're using for your Invisalign submission cases will work for these new patient photographs. And we, can, we will always take five photographs. The first one is just a patient smile without retractors. And then once we've gotten that, we will uh, help and coach the patient on the use of the retractors and soliciting their help. And so our hygienists are able to take these five new patient photographs for our patients uh, basically single-handed. Uh, occasionally, another team member may assist them, but they worked out a technique, as you see illustrated here, so they can do it with only the patient's help. You'll see that uh, the hygienist is actually taking time to um, coach the patient in how to do this properly, getting proper alignment. We view these photographs as diagnostically significant and as of diagnostic importance the same as an x-ray. And so just like a hygienist will take time to make sure they have the proper angulation with their x-ray head, having proper angulation with the retractors, the camera and everything else is very important. So the next image we take is a smile with retractors in and the patient biting together. This is our second image. Then while the retractors are in, we'll have the patient open slightly, take a, the third image. And this is probably the most powerful image that we use is this slightly open because you can see the wear of not only the upper incisors but the lower and we'll show how this is used in our conversations for the hygienist as a patient advocate here in just a moment. While those first three pictures were being taken, the mouth mirror has been in warm water to help prevent fogging. Patient keeps the retractors in while the mouth mirror is retrieved. 
and we'll take full arch photographs of both the upper and lower arch, something you're all very familiar with because you're already doing Invisalign. This is just the same pictures you'd be using if you're actually starting an Invisalign case, so if you're not taking all the portrait shots or the lateral views. So a maxillary view with the mirror in. And you want to make sure you're getting the incisal edges of the anteriors because that's where a lot of your conversation is going to be starting with your patients. And then the last image you'll take is a full arch of the lower view. Again, making sure you get the incisal edges represented. Now, I know that seemed lengthy as you were watching it, but uh, with the timer on that video, is 3 minutes, 25 seconds. And so I submit to you that the 3 minutes and 25 seconds, and again, this is the longest session that I videoed of our hygienist, uh, um, is time well spent. So here you have four of the five images that we typically take. The only image that's not shown here is the patient uh, just uh, biting together and smiling without retractors. But once you have these photographs, the hygienist is equipped to properly interpret the envelope of function for the patient. You're not using the phrase envelope of function. You're just starting to talk to them about the where and the patterns that you see. And the key elements you'll be looking for are incisal wear, ab fractions, the golf ball molars or worn molars, a lack of canine guidance, and arch asymmetry. Now, of the five pictures that we normally take, you'll see this upper right image here with the gold square around it because that's our golden picture that we will go to. If we're short on time or if we're just learning to uh, implement this on a regular basis, this is the one image that retracted anterior view slightly open that you can usually find plenty to talk about to begin educating a patient about their malocclusion. With the consistency in full arch photographs, the hygienist, with a proper understanding of the envelope of function and also given the respect and esteem in the practice as leader in these malocclusion conversations, is now properly equipped as for as a uh, patient advocate in the practice. But consistency is the key. Consistent photographs, consistent conversations, and consistent technique, it will yield consistent outcomes. And with that, you'll see an increase in case volume. What this graphic illustrates is the number of Invisalign conversations I have with my two hygienists every month. If they just have one malocclusion conversation in the morning and one in the afternoon, we're having that many conversations on a monthly basis. And so that's what it looks like with consistency applying that. Now, to help with consistency, I'd like to recommend to you some photographic aids that make this a lot easier. Um, there will be a downloadable uh, order form for these if you're interested in them um, through Align Tech Institute. But we use this double-sided metallic mouth mirror, which warms well and serves as a great retractor for getting our full arch photographs. We use these miniaturized retractors that are much more comfortable for the patient and uh, give you better lateral retraction of the lips when you use larger retractors, uh, you get more vertical movement as opposed to lateral. But probably our most powerful photographic aid is this lip retractor because 
The incisal edges of the anterior teeth are powerful motivators in these orthodontic conversations. You don't want to miss those. And by using this little plastic retractor to keep the lip off the incisors, it's a powerful tool. And so by being properly equipped, a hygienist is more likely to be um, at ease dedicating the three minutes that it will take to take these photographs. And having the right tools helps keep the time commitment under control. So we've classified the daily activities of a hygienist as a patient advocate into three main areas, clinical skills, consistency, and communication. So let's look at the communication element of a patient advocate. Once the clinical skills have led to observations of malocclusion and the photos have, been, have helped the patient understand the problem and the disease, the hygienist needs to be able to recommend treatment without any fear or uncertainty of the treatment outcome. Uh, conversations such as, well, I don't know if Invisalign can do this, or I don't know if you're a good candidate for Invisalign, send mixed signals and should be avoided. So if you're concerned about Invisalign's ability to treat a particular situation, there are, uh, there are, simple, there are six simple basic questions you can ask when looking at the mouth to determine uh, how easily this can be treated. This form is available from Invisalign and is downloadable from this webcast as well. By answering these six questions, yes or no, if you get all six as yes, this is a simple Invisalign case. If it's a mixture, it's going to be a moderate case treatable with Invisalign Assist, and you'll know your doctor's comfort level in using Assist or a full case. If these questions are mostly no, it will be a little more difficult case, but still treatable. So by being able to do this quick six-question assessment, you will know with just a glance that this is, yes, a great Invisalign candidate and your doctor be able to move forward with treatment. So in the communication aspect of a patient advocate, what we're looking at is what's called a PCS, PCS model of communication, problem, consequence, solution. The problem of the malocclusion is illustrated in photographs. And the problem is just very simply, the patient's bite does not match a properly functioning arrangement. It doesn't match a proper envelope of function. There is disease and destruction going on. The consequence of this is that if left alone, dental treatment and dental expense that could have been avoided will result. So the solution is moving the teeth, and then we can do that very easily, as you know, with Invisalign. So to help a patient in this communication cycle, and to understand what is going on in their mouth, we use the photographs and then help them with our words. We verbally create for them what is normal, a normal biting relationship. And so in describing a normal biting relationship for a patient, it's just simply the simple statements that the lower jaw should always fit inside and behind the upper jaw. The upper jaw should be wider. The peak of the lower teeth should fit into the valley of the upper teeth. When your jaw moves side to side, the back teeth should glide over each other without making contact. The canines guide the lower jaw and should be the only teeth that touch when your lower jaw goes side to side. This protects the back teeth and the jaw joint. And the only way your back teeth can, proper function, can function properly and not wear out is if the canines are in the right position to do the right job. So these are just basic statements to help a patient understand what a normal bite is. Then you use your photographs and, and say, well, that's what's normal. That's a desired relationship or arrangement. But in your mouth, we see this. 
and then you begin walking them through the photographs. To help illustrate how this is done on a consistent basis, Invisalign has actually produced a DVD showing this PCS model of conversation. If you have not had a time to schedule use of this DVD with your territory manager, I would highly encourage you to do so. Uh, what they've done is they've actually photographed my hygienist and working with patients addressing seven common malocclusions and using this PCS model in effectively motivating patients to move forward with treatment. So I encourage you to schedule a time with your territory manager to view this and use it as a time of uh, up-leveling your patient advocacy and the role of the hygienist in the practice. So the tools we have available for a hygienist as patient advocate and presenting malocclusion and Invisalign to our patients. Critical is the patient photos, as we've already talked about, then also the patient portfolio or patient gallery is very motivational for patients. The straight talk brochure, which Invisalign produces and makes available to you for free, uh, establishes a consistent message with your patients regarding malocclusion as a health-related issue. The other tools you have at your disposal are Tybodont models, sample aligners, and the most powerful thing is team members in treatment. So particularly if your hygienist is in treatment, they are, it just up-levels their role as a patient advocate. In using the Straight Talk brochure, I would highly encourage you to make sure you have the most current issue of the Straight Talk brochure that has the QR code in the bottom right-hand corner. With that QR code, your patients can scan that code with their smartphone and watch a three-minute video, or they can go to the web link and watch the video on their laptop. And on that uh, video that a line is produced for you, it will lead the patient through a conversation about malocclusion as, as a disease. These are screenshots from that video showing chipping, wear, TMJ issues, periodontal problems, and systemic problems of malocclusion. So this will be used to reinforce the message they have gotten at the hygienist chair and the recommendations they've received from their doctor. I like to use that video for our patients when they say they need to go home and talk with the spouse. I want them to make sure they played that video for the spouse before they start reviewing a treatment plan or cost concerns because I want the, the spouse fully educated on the health aspects of treating malocclusion as well. So these are just some of the communication tools the hygienist can use as a patient advocate. Uh, included in that is the patient gallery uh, that's available from Invisalign at this web link. And with this, you can show patients before and after uh, treatments of various case types, which will help uh, inspire them to see a case that is similar to their malocclusion successfully completed. I like to use the patient uh, Invisalign patient case portfolio because not only do before and after photos motivate the patient, but I find that what is particularly powerful for a patient considering um, Invisalign is to actually show them a ClinCheck and certainly not have them back, to, not to develop a ClinCheck for them to see unless they're committed to treatment, but show them sample ClinCheck's, which the case uh, portfolio makes available. So using this blue animation bar here, clicking that will launch a ClinCheck for the patient to see. And so if their problem is upper anterior crowding, then I'm just going to show them the maxillary view successfully treated. And so I find that the software is a powerful motivator for selling the case once the patient has ownership. If their main concern is lower anterior crowding, then that's the only view I'm going to show them. I'm going to show them their chief concern successfully treated with a ClinCheck. Um, 
I don't see any point in showing them multiple views and multiple patients because information overload is often a reason patients don't move forward. Invisalign has also prepared another resource for hygienists in this role as patient advocate. This is also available for download after the webcast. And it's a reference guide for hygienists in helping patients understand their malocclusion. The steps are simply, as we've already illustrated, help identify the malocclusion through an ortho assessment, educate the patient using the PCS model, talk about the benefits, use the straight talk brochure, communicate with your doctor. So we're identifying with the visual exam and photos, educate with the PCS model, then we're extolling the benefits of treatment. The hygienist engages the patient's interest, addresses their concerns or questions, and then communicates that to the doctor. With that, we can take all of our knowledge, clinical skills, consistently applied, in our communication skills and begin to express the envelope of function in patient terms so that our patients will move forward with health. So what does this patient advocacy look like and sound like? Well, allow me just to kind of ad-lib as if we were reviewing, this, uh, reviewing these photos with an actual patient, Jennifer, and see how the photos are a natural segue to a conversation that's not offensive but motivational. So using the photos, one of my favorite lead-in lines is simply to say, well, Jennifer, I couldn't help but notice how on, this, on the right side of your mouth, it's difficult to see the teeth here in the back. They're kind of hiding in the shadows. One reason that these teeth are difficult to see is because they slope inward instead of sitting vertically in the face. When the teeth slope inward, they're going to have more wear and result in more shortening chipping and need more work as a later in your adult life. Now, Jennifer, you may not know this, but when teeth fit together, all your back teeth should fit evenly with the peak of the lower tooth fitting into the valley of the upper tooth. But when your jaw goes side to side, your back teeth are not supposed to touch. The only way that that can happen, Jennifer, is if your canine teeth, which is this tooth and this tooth, are properly functioning against the lower canines here and here. If these are fitting properly together, and these are almost correct here, if they're fitting together correct, they protect all your back teeth. But when there's space between the canines like this, then they cannot protect your back teeth. And over a lifetime, your back teeth are going to have more wear, experience more problems, and probably have more dental work in the future. Jennifer, would this be of concern to you, or would you like more information on how we could prevent that from happening? So by just addressing the problem, consequence, solution, it can be a very non-offensive conversation. And if it happens in the hygienist chair and using that peer-to-peer -peer relationship first, it has a much better traction and success rate than if the doctor initiates the conversation. Similarly, similarly we could take uh, this patient, Jared. And again, my standard line or lead-in line for a patient is, Jared, you know, I couldn't help but notice how we look at your teeth here, this lower canine tends to slope in and isn't in the same position as this one. The canine teeth, Jared, you may not realize that, but your canine teeth protect your, all your back teeth from wear. Your canine relationship here on the left side is near perfect, but on the other side, you see, this canine does not touch the lower canine at all because it, 
the lower canine is sloping in. Over a lifetime, Jared, if these canines cannot do their work, then your back teeth are going to have premature wear, shortening, and chipping. However, if we could get the teeth in the proper position so they can do their proper job, Jared, then your teeth would be better prepared to function as they were intended and have less wear, need less dental treatment, and less dental expense over a lifetime. Is that something you've ever thought about, Jared, or something you'd like more information on? So these very casual conversations are easy conversations to have when you have a photograph to work with and can reference the photograph and help motivate the patient toward health. So the hygienist as patient advocate will involve some action items. We've covered several different things, and in summary, it begins with the doctor allowing and encouraging the hygienist to take the lead in these conversations. It also involves an office culture that espouses the reality that orthodontics is not an elective procedure and that the connection between malocclusion and patient health is very real. It also involves having a vision for total oral health and then educating the patient, listening to them, and simply suggesting solutions. For the patients to believe in treatment, they first have to see the problem. The only way that can be done on a consistent and effective basis, effective basis excuse me, is with consistent photographs. And also really just realizing that malocclusion is a disease of the dentition. It will cause tooth problems, tooth wear, and can cause tooth loss if not properly treated. And then using the envelope of function is a new way of seeing and communicating malocclusion to patients. And realizing the, the reality that patients will accept preventative dentistry. And so if we are espousing the benefits of treating malocclusion from a posture that it will help prevent treatment and prevent additional expenses in the future, patients are much more likely to listen to and engage the conversation. We're simply helping patients make their natural dentition and their dentistry last a lifetime. So let's look at a couple of just live situations. I'd like for you to take just a moment as we're going to look at just a couple of photographs here and begin putting some of these skills to work. If we're using photographs to look for evidence of malocclusion, what do you see in the photograph? What do you see that you could use for starting a conversation with a patient? What do you see do you, from the checklist on the right-hand side? What do you see in the photograph that you think is of concern or would be a legitimate thing to start a conversation with? Well, for me, I see incisal wear, and certainly there's no canine guidance with number 27 being out of position there. Definite arch asymmetry, and the lower, the upper arch is more narrow than the upper arch, as you see the upper bicuspid leaning in, making the upper arch more narrow, which is the opposite of what is normal. The upper arch should always be wider. We have arch asymmetry, and we have definite periodontal issues that are exacerbated by the malocclusion. So the conversation would be something very similar as I couldn't help but notice, which is my favorite lead-in line, like I said, uh, when looking at photographs, is just I couldn't help but notice how your brushing 
is very effective where your teeth are properly aligned. But when we have a tooth that's out of position like this one, your toothbrush cannot reach this, and this is where your periodontal or your gum problems are the worst. So I can only I can only venture to think that if we could put this tooth out in line with all the others, then your periodontal health would improve. And so, but I also I noticed that you may not realize this, um, patient, but your upper jaw should always be wider than your lower jaw. And here on this side, your upper jaw is more narrow. And so over time, that's going to cause premature wear of these teeth. And we can already see wear developing here on your lower front tooth as it's impacting the back of this upper tooth. So if we really were serious about addressing these problems, it would involve moving your teeth. But the nice thing is we could accomplish all of these goals without the use of regular braces. We could use a clear technology called Invisalign, and then the conversation would just continue. Let's look at a different patient. Using your concept of envelope of function, your signs of malocclusion, what do you see in this picture that would begin a conversation about malocclusion? Well, I certainly see incisal wear. I see a lack of canine guidance. Periodontal issues that are made worse by the crowding there in the lower anteriors. And certainly we also have arch asymmetry with the, particularly the upper right quadrant having more of a lingual inclination as opposed to the vertical inclination or near vertical inclination like we see on the left side. So we'll assume this patient's name is Betty, and the conversation would simply begin, well, Betty, I couldn't help but notice how the gum tissue here on your upper front teeth, where the teeth are in better alignment, it's much easier for you to keep them in normal health, how we see a nice pink color here. The contours of the gum tissue is really almost ideal. However, here on your lower teeth, Betty, where the teeth are more crowded and kind of in a double row here, that's where the gum tissue, we don't have that that smooth knife-like edge on the gum tissue. We see a lot of puffiness, crowding, and infection. These are the areas where we're constantly having to work on your cleaning, where we see all the tartar build up, and where you have the difficulty flossing. And so what I'm seeing here, Betty, is that part of the problem with your gum disease is really how the teeth are mispositioned. And if we could put these teeth on the smooth curve all the way around, I think all your hard work at home is going to pay off much better for you. Now, Betty, you may not know this as well, but the way teeth are supposed to fit together, when you bite together, all your teeth should fit evenly, and your canine teeth, which are these two teeth and these two teeth, excuse me, these two teeth here, are supposed to guide your jaw so that when you go left and right, your back teeth don't collide and wear out. Well, as you can see here, Betty, these teeth don't even touch each other. So the fact that this doesn't this canine doesn't touch the back of this canine means that all these teeth are having premature wear. And I bet if we look at your other photos, Betty, we're going to see wear on these teeth. So if we could, if we could get these teeth properly arranged, not only could we help with your gum disease going on here, but I think we could help your teeth so that they last longer and wind up with less dental treatment and less dental expense going forward. So what I want to challenge you to do is going forward in this role as patient advocate is each time you want is to have these consistent photographs, and then as you take the photographs, you're just going to have kind of a mental checklist for every patient. What do I see that is evidence of malocclusion? Do I see the incisal wear? 
the abfractions going on, the lack of canine guidance, the upper arch more narrow than the lower, all of these are things you can begin a conversation on in the arch asymmetry. So with these tools, I believe you're poised to begin applying it on a consistent basis. And um, it's a beautiful thing when it works together. And, doctor, if you'll allow your hygienist to take the, the reins in this, uh, help educate them on the envelope of function, give them the tools and the time they need for taking photographs. Um, when we begin doing the photographs on a regular basis in our practice, we lengthen the time of our new patient visit because we saw this as such a, a valuable component to our practice and our patients. So. In conclusion, what I'd like to do is to show you a video of uh, all of it working, all the, uh, everything firing on all eight cylinders, where the hygienist and the patient are engaged discussing photographs, and the hygienist is taking this role as patient advocate. Jenny, I noticed today as I was cleaning your teeth that you have some sensitive spots. Are these normally sensitive? Yes. Every time I have my teeth cleaned, they're sensitive. All right. How about at home? Are you having some any kind of sensitivity at home with these areas? Yeah, but it, I mean, I've kind of learned to kind of cover them with my tongue. So I mean, I just don't put ice in my drinks and stuff. So, well, I noticed on the picture. I'd like to show you some of our pictures. If you notice on these pictures, can you see how the gum tissues are kind of raised right up around those back teeth? Yeah, I was told by my last dentist that I just brushed too hard. So I've been trying to use a softer brush and be a little lighter. Well, we will be giving you a soft bristled toothbrush today, but one thing I wanted to point out was if you're really brushing too hard, don't you think that kind of be all over the teeth instead of just those back ones? Well, I kind of wondered about that. I thought, how am I brushing just those teeth too hard? Yeah. Well, um, we used to think that that was the case, and in some cases, possibly it could be a contributing factor. But the thing I noticed mostly is that these teeth back here are really biting edge to edge. And as you're doing that, you're actually causing some trauma to the gum tissues, so the gums are actually pulling away. What you're looking at right here on these pictures is the root surfaces of those teeth. The roots are not covered by enamel, so they actually are a little bit more sensitive to cold and to touch like what we've experienced today. Um, these areas are something that is a concern to me, so I'd like to point this out to Dr. Hodge if you don't mind. Okay. So I'll go get him in just a moment, and then I'll be back already. Okay. Dr. Hodge, thank you so much for a wonderful presentation, and we look forward to seeing you on another ASCII Expert webinar. Thanks very much.